0: I lived with a family that was that had nine kids, and they were just so kind, and they'd never met me before, but they just welcomed me in, and I got to see how, how a dad takes care of his kids and has relationships with them and treats his wife, and it just opened my eyes to how this is supposed to be.
1: Hello, and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Hello, healing trauma mamas. Welcome back to the podcast today. I'm excited for the guest that we get to have on a fellow birth worker. Um, She's coming to share her incredible story and um, very interesting. We've got a lot of similarities, those that have listened to my uh, story of my personal story back on episode number six, and then the continuing on episode number 14 um christiana is joining us with uh some similarities and um i'm looking forward to hearing all uh, about what the lord's done in her life and uh, some of the traumas that she's healed through so with that christiana welcome to the podcast thank
0: you i'm happy to be here it's my mm-hmm. first ever being on a podcast so i'm excited
1: well welcome i'm glad it was with healing trauma moms so <laughs> um Just a little introduction about yourself. I kind of told the listeners you're a a student midwife. Um, What part in your training are you at?
0: I am just starting out primaries, which is the last phase. And I have two continuities due right now. So I'm excited. We need 10 in Montana. And those are when you see somebody through their pregnancy. And as you know, of course, Um, but through their pregnancy, their birth, you manage it and then postpartum too. so, So I'm excited.
1: Oh, That's wonderful. I, I love the continuities are so fun. <laughs> it's great. So good. So you're you're coming right along. Those that aren't aware, this is basically the last phase of her training before she gets to become a, a full-fledged midwife. Um, I assume set for the NARM and then um, I don't know how your state licensing works, but um, yeah.
0: So um, I'm hoping to have my numbers by May of 24 and then I'll sit for the NARM and yeah, be here and be a midwife to rural Montana, where we travel way out in the woods and do do crazy stuff, <laughs> where yep. we, we drive, you know, drive out with no Sun service. And I don't know. It's just crazy. But yeah, we do that. Oh, here. yeah. Yeah, we do that in Texas,
1: too. But it's more like <laughs> drive out in the middle of nowhere desert and not like yep. mountains or anything like that.
0: Yes. And the winters make it really interesting here. Oh, I bet they do.
1: Yeah. We usually have to deal with ice here. And so we have to think about that for getting to births, but up there, I'm sure you have lots of snow.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just put on my set of tires today, um, which is a week earlier than you're supposed to, but I'm like, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to be ready for this. winter. (laughs) Uh, Good idea. Good plan.
1: So, um, I'd like to maybe, uh, we can start wherever you would like, but kind of go back to basically, you know, what led you here? Um, what got you to where you are right now? And to start back as far as you'd like to start.
0: Yeah. Um, I was homeschooled. Um, my, uh, my husband and I were actually both homeschooled, but we were, it was kind of in different ways. Um, but I was one of nine kids and um, my mom just rigorously homeschooled us from eight o'clock in the morning to one every day. And she had a schedule that she wrote out um, for each of us and had like hour to and a half hour slots. And some of them were classes that we all did together. So we studied the stars and we studied anatomy and art and all kinds of things together. But then on our own, we did our math and English and things. But um, so I really appreciate my growing up in that aspect where, she was just very on top of our education, really valued that. And my parents were also very, um, especially my dad was so visionary that he, he thought we could do and be whatever we wanted to do and be when we got older. Um, so a lot of us caught on to that and have gone up into different careers that we wanted to pursue. And um, yeah, I'm just really thankful for that uh, aspect. And there was a lot of good things. We're um, a Christian conservative family. My dad was A pastor of a non-denominational church, but we had a lot of flavors of like, um, Amish in there because we, we had a lot of ex-Amish people in our church, like newly ex-Amish. Um, we were in Michigan and, um, he, I don't know, we kind of adopted a lot of their things of wearing a head covering, long skirts, um, and really valued a lot of the things they value. So working hard and, um, so that's what I grew up in and I didn't know anything else. So I didn't know that was strange or anything other than when we would go to Walmart, people would think we were Amish or ask us what we were, or how to write or whatever. And, um, so that was the only, those are the only times I knew that we were, we were different than other people. um But had lots of friends. Of course we hung out all the time on Wednesdays, Sundays. So I didn't feel lonely. And especially with nine kids, you never feel lonely <laughs> um yeah. in a family. But um, yeah, there were, I just thought I had a really happy childhood. Um, and then when I got older, I wanted to pursue midwifery. And so mom gave us slots in our school where we could, um, study the things we were interested in. And so I chose to study all about herbs and the human body and just what like natural healing can do for cancer and all the things. And, um, so I learned a lot, even when I was 13, 14 years old. That I still that I remember now, and I'm like I'm so happy I learned those things when I was young, because it gave me a good base about about how the human body works, um, from a natural sp- perspective. So um, I started pursuing that, and when I graduated high school, I um, decided to be a doula first, because I had called a bunch of midwives and asked their advice, and they said, well, be a doula first, and you can get a get a an idea of what the on-call lifestyle is. It's so different than how mm-hmm. normal people live. <laughs> yeah. I think okay. most midwives suggest that first, because
1: it's just like, okay, okay. <laughs> get to go to a few births, see what it's like, you know, getting called out at 1am and staying up for however many hours and kind of seeing how that, how you handle that. And if you really like it or not.
0: <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, And so I I did that I pursued that um, and it was really only a, a stepping stone to midwifery. So I, I did, my goal wasn't to be a doula, but I got some good experience that way and um, became certified. And so I keep up on that certification too because I think it's a good good thing to keep up on every two years. Um, and yeah, so I I thought I lived in a really good wonderful family. I've been always so thankful for my family, but there were things that started to come to the surface a little bit when I was later in my teenage years. Um, I remember having a conversation with my dad about, about women's roles and men's roles. And um, I was talking to him about the story about Lillian Trasher, how she was um, a missionary in Egypt and she had left a an engagement in America. She had gone over there. Just as her, it was her calling, and God totally blessed her as a single woman with all kinds of miracles of providing for their kids and things. And and she had left without her family's permission, even though they were a Christian family. And uh, and they just thought it was unsafe for her. And so I was talking to Dad about that, and he said, "Well, I don't really think God would ha- ask that of a girl. I don't. I don't really know." I I couldn't he couldn't really give me an answer and so I was like but God called her to that and he totally used her even though her family totally disagreed with that and so my dad was very influenced by the Gothard movement by the P- pearls mm-hmm. um a lot of the more patriarchal viewpoint and I I never even heard the word patriarchal growing up like that just wasn't that just wasn't in our vocabulary but now when, when everybody's starting to talk about it like it's kind of a trend of like, we're like, you're seeing what your past is. And it's kind of the same of like, okay, this was a movement. Um, we were also involved in the charity movement too, <clears throat> but um, he, yeah, he just didn't think that a girl should step out of the authority of her dad. And that's a very protective place for a girl to be. And so, I mean, I s- sort of still agree with that, but I still think that when God calls you to something, um, like Jesus said, you sometimes have to leave everybody for that calling. Like even if it's your mom or your dad, your brother, sister. Um And so that just got me thinking of like, okay, well, what would I leave for Jesus? And I had been saved when I was nine years old. Um, and we were very strong on being born again. And I, I got saved. I, I knew I was a sinner. I got down on my knees and I asked the Lord to forgive me of my sins and save me from hell And, um, I just knew I was going to heaven when I got up, I just, it was completely different. And I lived a different life after that, you know, pursuing God and, um, praying and listening to his voice and reading the Bible. So I've, I've continued that. And still like, that was the day where my life changed. And, um, now what, how many years later, you know, I still, I still serve Jesus, but it's just been an interesting road of like, (laughs) well, what is Christianity made up of? And is it, is it of this more outward, um, appearance or is it inward? And, um, and am I worth what men are worth as a woman? You know, am I worth the same or am I less? And so, uh, this got, this got me to, um, some pretty interesting places later on when, after my dad passed away, um, he just passed away suddenly in the night. And, uh, there were, let's see, there were eight kids still at home and my Second oldest brother got married after he died just three and a half weeks later, they had their wedding planned out and everything and they, they went ahead with it. Um, after about a year of him being married, he decided that it was time for him and his wife to move back into the house to move, move in and um, with their kids and to be very like authoritative in our life and be a father figure. So. That was a big thing. He wanted to be a a father to the kids and and things. And so by that time, my youngest sibling was probably 11 or 12. And us girls were getting up into where we were in our nearing twenties or in our twenties. So he moved in and um, we didn't realize it at first, but he was really starting to control our lives and kind of the grip was getting tighter and tighter. And we were wondering why, because we were adult women And um, so anyway, I don't know what you believe about any of this, but it was just it was kind of surprising. And we were like, I don't know what is right about this. I knew something was wrong about it because he was he was telling me what job I could or could not have. He really looked down on women having jobs. He didn't like that at all, but he allowed it because he needed money to live. Mm. And so we decided to kind of stop talking about our jobs when we got home every night because he didn't like hearing about them. And he started to um, give us very long speeches at night about what he believed. And if he had seen something during the day or heard something then his wife would tell him about what had happened. And he would just talk and talk sometimes up until 10, 11. And I was in midriff Free college at this point. So I um, was really busy and (laughs) and tired and all of us had jobs down to my little sister we were working so hard um some of them were working in grocery stores some of them were doing lawn care and um was it
1: expected that everybody would stay up and listen to him yes yeah you didn't have an option to go to bed
0: yes uh so we had yeah so we had our family uh, devotionals in the evening and he would yeah keep us up for a while (laughs) I don't know. It got to where we just had to kind of agree with him before we went to bed, because he wouldn't allow us to not agree with him before going to bed. And um, it was more of a, a brainwashing rather than a like in love, like giving you the information and allowing, allowing you as adults or even as kids, you know, to decide what you want to do with this information. <clears throat> and so do you think his uh, heart in the beginning was he felt like you guys
1: needed protected and taken care of and so he came in to try to do that or do you feel it was like he had an opportunity to come in and be over you guys and rule the nest basically
0: yeah I think in the beginning he had a really good heart um because all growing up I mean we didn't we us girls didn't all weren't always around the boys because they were always working outside and doing guy things while us girls were inside um, working on the, uh, working in the kitchen and on the garden and things. So, um, he was always just a great brother. I mean, all my brothers treated us very respectfully and stuff, but, um, yeah, I think he started with a good heart. Um, his wife, I helped them with their kids being born. Um, I do think that there was some, some, some trauma in his life that affected him. Um, so starting with my dad dying suddenly, um, he was pretty close with my dad and looked up to him, and and still does. So when that was suddenly taken from him, I think that was a a trauma in his life. And then we were on a short mission trip. The same brother organized a lot of mission trips to Haiti, so that we could build benches for the churches out in um, really rural areas, you know, where there's no not a lot of resources and things. So we would travel up into the mountains of Haiti and, um, deliver these benches that we would build. So each trip we built about a hundred and we were on our way back one night. Um, and it was my first and only trip to Haiti, but this was his fourth or fifth with his, with a group of people. And, um, I had, let's see, I had my sister-in-law, his wife next to me with her baby. And then next to her was my sister. And they were just, it was mostly family in this group with a native driver and then a native in the back as well with my other brother. And we got um we the road was blocked and so we had to come to a stop and it was in, in the middle of the night, which we shouldn't have been driving in the middle of the night, but we didn't know, you know, it's just we had left late because Haitians are always late with whatever they do and um we were a little frustrated, but we just climbed in and got on our way. And it was about a 10 hour drive back to Fort Prince. And uh, anyway, so the road was blocked off. They started shooting. There was like these fireballs in the night. And, um, and, and then we realized that they were like shooting at us and these guys were running, running toward our vehicle. And um, they smashed out the passenger side window and then just started grabbing people roughing us up, um, shouting like they were in our faces, their eyes for a while. Um, and so that was a pretty traumatic thing that happened in all of our lives. We all got out safely. They did um, steal a lot of things. We had to get temporary passports to get back in the States. And, um, and the one, the one kid, uh, my sister-in-law's brother got got pretty roughed up but he was okay and um we were just thankful to get out of there alive we just we i shouted at the one guy next to me i was like jesus jesus and i just thought hopefully he understands that word because i didn't know creole and and he he got super scared and he ran off and so i think um i think that jesus was totally there and his power was completely there in the moment it just um before that, it was just very, uh, very helpless feeling. And I think that's what trauma comes from. It partially is from being helpless. Um, and mm-hmm. so brothers felt like they couldn't, they couldn't take care of us girls cause they had, they were threatening us <clears throat> and, and I can't, under, I don't understand Creole, but they were making hand motions and the guy next to me was taking off his belt and I thought he was going to tie me up with it, but I didn't know and I, I just had this terrible feeling, like something. Something awful is going to happen and I need Jesus here right now. And so that's why I shouted at him, but, um, yeah, he ran away. They all ran away about the same time. And then we were able to pull away from there. Um, but anyway, it just, it just was, and it was something in my life. It woke me up to, you know, panic attacks and even Christians can have panic attacks and, and, um, and still like that was in 2018. So now it's 2023. Um, I I can't handle gunshots. There's often times where I I hear anything that sounds like a gunshot, like uh, fireworks (laughs) around Fourth of (laughs) July and New Year's. And I just melt into a puddle of tears. I can't I can't handle it. And um, did your family all
1: like did you guys talk about it? Did you guys like do any work um, with each other and then with anybody else to kind of work through what you all had been through?
0: Not really. Um, we got back, and my family was just so the rest of them were just so happy that we had made it through and our church refunded some of the money we had lost, and um, they were super kind about it. but there wasn't really a platform to talk about what we had gone through, and especially the sexual part of it, and I don't even know what the guys were saying, but it sounded it sounded like they were um wanting at least one of us girls to get out of the vehicle and um the one said in English that's some of the only words they know in English is I love you and they shouted that but um anyway I'm still confused as what they wanted but I do think there was something sexual about it and that was the that was the hardest thing about it I thought I wish they would have just shot me dead <laughs> afterward and it's so awful to think but I was just like I, w- I just can't handle it that that somebody was who had just opened my door had never met me before never seen me and they're just willing to just you know take advantage of me and um yeah I I ne- did, wasn't able to talk about this with people and when I did bring it up to a few women in my church um they just kind of looked at me like I was I w- I don't know. They just, they, they didn't have anything to say because maybe they hadn't ever been through something like that or, and they just, I don't know what they thought, but they gave me no tools to deal with this. And there was no referral to any therapist. Um, Probably because
1: they didn't have any tools to deal with it. They didn't even know. Yeah. Um, never. If you've never experienced anything and, and it seems so foreign um yep. to somebody that they wouldn't even know where to point you what tools what resources I under you know I, I get that um I, it would have been wonderful if if the whole uh, the group as a whole could have done maybe more at least some conversation about it or had some type of the church able to bring somebody in um you know some type of counselor a Christian counselor to come in and talk with everybody um because yeah. sometimes it's it's a matter of just, just discussing the situation. So, mm-hmm. so much can be resolved just by everybody talking about it, recognize that, you know, everybody was terrified. Everybody, yeah. you know, and just realizing that, yeah, we all went through something really horrible. Yes, we're extremely thankful that none of us died. Mm -hmm. That's great. Nobody actually got raped. That's wonderful. But that doesn't change the way everybody was made to feel and the threat that was put on everybody's life. It's still Mm -hmm. extremely traumatic.
0: Yeah. And I, in the moment, I was hoping that they would shoot me first before anybody else. Because while they were robbing us too, um, I couldn't see outside because it was dark. But they had the guys in the bed of the truck. They were dealing with them. They had a driver out on his hands and knees. And so I, and then they started shooting again. And so, um, I, I thought, Oh my goodness, I cannot handle them shooting somebody else in front of me. Like I'm never going to be able to get that out of my, my memory, you know? And so in that moment, I just wanted them to shoot me first, but, um, and thankfully that didn't happen at all, but still it was traumatizing. <laughs> and so, and so. Yeah, definitely. I wish they would have had more tools and thought about this as like your brain is an organ that needs to work well, and it's not only spiritual. And so, um, yeah, yes, we need to pray and we need to trust God and we need to ask him for wisdom, but uh, we also need healing in our, in our brain. And I think then that's when I developed some pretty hefty breathing issues. But back to my brother, um, he had gone through that with us felt pretty helpless in that situation and whenever him and my other brother that were there would talk about it afterward their faces would just turn white like they just and they tried to figure out afterward like well what if we had guns and we were non-resistant which means that you wouldn't hurt anybody in that kind of situation in any situation Mm. um but they just kind of hashed it out that way like what could we have done better and uh over and over again um, so then also then the, the I think later that year, so that was in 2018. Um, yes, I think it was later that year, um, uh, my sister-in-law was pregnant and she was at a prenatal appointment. Uh, we walked in to me. I was helping the midwife who who was her midwife, and we walked in and she was in labor at twenty seven weeks, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um and so we got her loaded up in the car and I drove as fast as I could. We ended up, I pulled over a deputy sheriff and got him to, got his attention, got him to come to the window. And, and he ended up escorting us the way, the rest of the way there it was about 40 minutes, um, but we got there sooner than that. Um, her water broke just as we were pulling into the hospital and they, they reached in and felt two feet. And so they said, well, we need to do an emergency C-section and she didn't want to do one, but ended up going back for one real quick. And, um, the baby had no voluntary movement after that. So I think during the C-section there was probably too much either magnesium or something given to her where the baby was kicking super vigorously up to that point and being compressed because it was being born. Um, but yeah, it just, he made no voluntary movement. We didn't know anything about this until about three and a half hours later when she was in recovery in the ICU that we were told that they had been working on him that whole time doing CPR and his rate would come up to a hundred or so and then, and then would crash again. And, um, and they just couldn't keep it up. So, Uh, they said, well, we can lifelight him to another hospital, and he might die on the way, or you can just hold him here um, as he passes away, and so she chose to hold him, Um, and so, yeah, I was there, I was there with them through that, and it was, it was heartbreaking, because I thought, how am I supposed to ever be a midwife when I'm going to see, possibly see this again, you know, see a baby die, and it's just heartbreaking, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I, I thought I I can handle an older person, even like my dad, who was only forty five when he passed. Um, You know, he got to have nine kids and live a life. But when a baby dies, it's just like they never even got a chance, and it seems so unfair. Unfair. Um. But anyway, that was my same brother who ended up moving in and being very controlling. So he had gone through some rough stuff, and um, and I think that 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 was part of his problem with control he just wanted to control what he could control whereas these other situations were out of his control so i've talked to yeah. some guys about that um, and they they they've been kind of agreeing with me of like yeah that sounds like sounds like he just wanted something to control um even though he had a good heart in the beginning and stuff but yeah so us girls it's very realizing- common
1: That's very common for people who have dealt with a lot of trauma in their life, whether it's generational or or situational or any of that kind of thing, that they will look for something that they have total control over. Um, That way they can, you know, take, they know that something is at least in their control, even if all these other things are out of their control. This is where a lot of even like um, disorders come in um, anorexia sometimes, um, can Mm -hmm. be due to that. Um, cutting can be due to that. Lots of other, um, coping mechanisms are Mm -hmm. due to control, needing to control something, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, lots of things like that are due to the fact that different traumas happened and they felt so out of control that they, they need to have something that they have complete, um, control over and um it makes sense when you think about it from that perspective it doesn't make it okay whatsoever and you know doesn't make it okay at all for the the people that he was affecting but it it helps to understand why they got to that point or or you know their reasoning behind what they're doing even if it's completely wrong
0: yeah for sure um he, I love him to death. I love my whole family. And I, it's just hard to talk about, you know, how, how bad it's been. And my mom, another aspect of this story, my mom has had undiagnosed bipolar. Um, and I say that because we didn't go to psychologists, therapists, like we thought that they were, they were saying things that weren't right. And, you know, and that wouldn't help us at all. Like all we needed was Jesus. And, um, so she never got diagnosed, but when I've described what would happen at home and growing up um, to people, they they are, they are recognize it as, as bipolar disorder. And her mom had it too, and her mom was diagnosed as bipolar. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of um, physical, mental abuse. Um, she would be such a kind person, sometimes and take want to have fun with us kids and take us out and do broad sailing on all these things but then other days it was like a switch would just flip and she was completely different and um and the littlest thing could set her off and so then we all had to be on you know uh, I don't know if she pins and needles or just be very careful around her she would go in her room close the door and be in there for for weeks really without talking to the family and we never knew a lot of times we didn't know what was going on or why something upset her sometimes we did know um she would fast for long periods of time sometimes up to 40 days i i remember but wow. usually it was a week or two and or longer and she would she would fast and not come eat with the rest of us and um and <clears throat> And um, yes, yeah, she would counsel a lot of other women on how to spank their kids and things, but it was very abusive. And some of the things I remember now about her counseling other women, I'm just horrified. because I don't have kids, but I just, I just don't think that's how you treat your kids. And um, uh, like spanking a 17 year old, you know, at that point, <laughs> at that point, <laughs> a spanking is not gonna do anything for your 17 year old. You know, at that point, they're just gonna be mad at you and, and it's abusive. So Um, so she just, she, she insisted on, you know, no, no clothing between her and spanking stick except, you know, a pair of underwear. And so we often had welts after we were spanked. And, um, I remember just hot welts that it's hard to sit down and, um, but usually our spankings were after about an hour or so, or more of, of yelling and just completely tearing down our lives of, just whatever mm. we had done in our life. And we just felt worthless afterward. Um, and, and, and sometimes we would get a spanking for something that before we didn't get a spanking for. So it was, it was, um, it made us feel insecure, you know, cause no consistency. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. And my dad, My dad didn't always know what was going on at home because he was working and often gone. And um, so I don't blame him for being outright abusive, at least not in my experience, but um, he was negligent to some degree because when he would hear about something that happened during the day, if one of us kids would bring it to him, he would just say, well, make mom happy. You know, that's what's honor your father and mother. And you just got to make mom happy. And, and he really didn't, he didn't either care or know how bad it was. And so, and he was afraid of her too. And she hadn't been swings that they had a, they had a pretty tumultuous marriage and, um, anyway, that was part of growing up. And then when I, later on, I started realizing this and my mom, when my dad died, became more, um, even more reclusive. Like she just kind of went into herself and she wasn't able to be uh, verbally abusive to the kids anymore. Um, my youngest sibling was 11, 12. And so we stood up for each other. And, um, I remember stepping in sometimes when she was, just tearing somebody up and down and I just stood there and she was so angry with me and I remember shaking so hard after that I had a cup of coffee in my hand, and it was spilling out but um just to stand up to her but I knew I knew what that kind of conversation does to my to to me and my siblings and so I I didn't want that to keep happening so she was realizing that she didn't have as much power with my dad being gone and my dad wasn't going to stand up for her and stuff. And so I think that can even put her into more of a uh, reclusive, like I'm just going to give up on being a mom. So she didn't really, she didn't really care to be a mom anymore. And she sat at her computer or in her room and, and we tried to, we always believe in being, you know, honorable, honoring your mom, dad and stuff, but there is a time when you need to stop. Uh, abuse from happening. And, um, so part of the reason my brother moved in was to try to be there for us and help mom to see, um, like when she's not, not being kind to us and not doing the right thing. And anyway, she, uh, she, yeah, she ended up just giving up. And I think that's, that's where she is now. I haven't talked to her in about three years. We haven't really spoken, but, um, my sister, what kind of started us realizing, Whoa, this is, this is crazy. Our family is a wreck. Um, my sister decided to move out. Um, and she just said, I, everything that I know about God has been told has been kind of forced on me and I need to go and live in an apartment. I have an apartment picked out already. She's like, I'm going to go and live and find God on my own. And it's not going to be of what other people are telling me. And so that just blew up our family in the sense that we had a, we had a huge family meeting where everybody came together and um, my brothers just looked at her in shock. Like, you're going to move out. Cause I don't know how to explain this, but when you, when a girl moves out in our culture, it's like she is stepping out from the authority, you know, she is, she mm-hmm. is, not going to be under this, this God-given authority uh, that, that um, she's under and she's being unsubmissive and she's really not doing a good thing. She's being rebellious. And um, so I understand that exact same thing. Like we had, like,
1: we had so many rules about how, like, I wasn't allowed to go um, anywhere uh, alone after a certain time of day. Um, always had to have a male present, um, with Mm -hmm. me and, um, didn't matter, you know, if it was for my job or whatever, if it ended after dark, I had to have like one of my brothers had to come meet me, um, for me to go home. So I would, I would have a male person with me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we had something, you know, similar. And then the same thing, if, if, if you chose to step out on your own, then you're stepping out of your of the authority that you're supposed to be under. And then are you just completely disregarding God and stepping out from that? Because he set up this authority. It's supposed to be the way, the way they set it up, you know, in his, in their perspective. Mm -hmm. And yeah.
0: And so then their whole like order is crumbling down. (laughs) I know. And it's so maddening. It was just the anger that came out in my brothers at that point were just was it was it was shocking. I didn't know that it was going to be that bad. I knew that we would probably cut her off because that's what we did with people. We just cut them off and we never talked to them again. But um, I didn't know that it was going to be so um, like dynamite. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so my brothers turned to us other girls and said, what do you think about this? Um, Because it couldn't be an isolated case. It had to be like, "Okay, what you know, what do you all think? And so um, I said, I don't think it's wrong for a girl to move out. Um, she needs to go find God. And we, we know that you need a personal relationship with God. And um, uh, that's what she needs to do. I'm not against it. And, and they just, just were so angry. And me and my older sister um, were put in that place because we were the only ones over 18 other than my um, sister that was moving out. And we were just put in this place of uh, what are you going to decide? Cause you have to agree with us or not agree with us. And you have to either shun her or not shun her. And we didn't use the word shun, but basically cut off from the family. um, Yeah. And not talk to them ever again. And so I said that I can't do that. That was an impossible thing for me because um, the sister was really close to me. Um, I figured if she needs anything at night, Um, if she gets sick and can't hold down a job or whatever happens, I need to be there for her. And there's, there was no way that I was going to not let her reach out to me or go to coffee with me, have a relationship, whatever. And so then I knew that that meant that I was going to be cut off too. So then it's like enabling one relationship to keep going while you're giving up the rest of your family. And so it's a, it was a big decision and just awful. It was horrible. Um, So I asked the midwife that I was apprenticing with to, I asked her if I could come and just stay with her for a bit. So I loaded up all my stuff and walked right past my sister-in-law who was cooking in the kitchen (laughs) with all my huge bags of stuff. And she, I don't know, she probably saw that it was my stuff and not my sister's, but um, I just loaded up my car and figured, I don't know for sure if I'm moving out, but I'm going to find out. And so I went to my preceptor's house and just, knelt on the floor and cried and cried out to God and asked him what what I'm supposed to do while I'm in the middle of school I was (laughs) I was doing a bachelor's degree so I still have to keep up on my assignments and um anyway it was a Thursday and I realized that um I just had peace just complete peace like yes you can move out and it's okay I'm gonna be with you um I was really sick at this point um I had a breathing issue that would just give me lots of chest pain um, when I would get up and walk around. <clears throat> it was undiagnosed. No doctor could figure it out at that point. I had gone to as many as I could afford and then I would stop because I couldn't afford it anymore. And um, over and over that happened. And anyway, so I didn't have a job, um, but I was in midwifery college and, and attending some births. Um, so it was really just a scary thing to think about moving out because I didn't have money, you know, you just don't know where your your next paycheck is going to come from and how you're going to live. And am I going to live in my car? And there was a woman who recently um, from our community had gone out um, to a city about three or four hours away and had lived in her car and had died in her car um, from, we didn't know what, you know, it was just kind of a mystery Mm -hmm case and she, I, we knew she had been begging we didn't there was probably some mental illness going on there or we, I don't know her complete story but that was in the back of my head like am I going to be like her am I going to live in my car and then end up end up begging for money because I, I can't afford to live and so um uh, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of struggling, but at the same time, I knew if God was with me, it would be okay. So uh, there was another family meeting on Saturday and I went back to to my family's home. And by that point, Miriam was not invited because she wasn't, um, my sister wasn't invited because she wasn't part of the family and, um, anymore, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't going to be invited anymore to the house. And then, um, we sat down and I said, um, uh, well, let me back up. My brother, my brother said, "Well, you know, I've called you to this meeting. We're um, talking about what we're going to do with Miriam, and then what we're also going to do moving forward." Um, and he said, "You know, this is the spirit of rebellion that's going on." Um, and and previously in the meeting before, they had told me that you know my eyes were dark. And there was something in my eyes, and I just thought it was crazy because a couple of days before that, this lady that said that that I was going to be at her birth. She said, she said, I just think Jesus is in your eyes. I could just see it in your eyes. And I'm so looking forward to you being at my birth. And, and I thought it was crazy because here, my brothers were saying, there's a darkness in your eyes, like implying Hmm. that there there were demons or demonic forces. And, they were talking about how um, demons had entered our house and had started um, influencing us. And and they turned to me and they said, you know, Christiana, maybe we shouldn't have let you go to midwifery college. Maybe that's where you're getting your feminist ideas. Um, and I didn't even know what feminism was. I, did, I just <laughs> like, um, I'm learning to catch babies and I don't I don't even know what you're talking about. Um so later I found out what me- feminism meant, but, um, yeah, in that moment, I was just like, man, it must be something bad. Cause I don't even know. Um, and they, they were like, maybe we shouldn't have allowed you to get jobs. And cause you're obviously getting these ideas from somewhere that you need freedom. And, and, and I asked them for verses. I said, like, what are the verses that you're using to back this up where you can cut off a, a girl, a grown woman, Um, because she has moved out of the house she still wants to be friends with you guys and still come over sometimes and um and they just were very angry they used some of the verses um about the headship order and but it all had to do with marriage it was like having to do with marriage in first Corinthians 11. And we, we said the last time we checked, we weren't married (laughs) and you were not our, our, even our father. Um, but yeah, you're not our husband. And so we were, most of the time I wasn't talking and I was crying and I didn't know what to say, but, um, there was just a lot of weird things that were said. And, um, uh, the Jezebel spirit, of course, was brought up and then um, mm. the passage, let's see, I think it's 1 Corinthians 7 where it's talking about, Paul's talking about virgins and how he wishes everybody was a virgin, but it's okay to be married. And then at the end, he says, um, and, and if a, something about if a father um, wants to keep his daughter from getting married, then, then it's okay um and that's in the king james version in other versions it actually says if a betrothed man um wants to keep her virgin or doesn't you know he can either marry her or not marry her it's really up to him um uh but in the king james it's a father so they said if a father can decide that you can't get married to somebody or married at all you know we have authority we have the same kind of authority as a father. And we can tell you not to have a job or not to do this or that and what to wear. And you, that's being married or not married is so much more than all the things we've told you not to do and do. And, and, um, so they really twisted scripture and completely like, uh wow, just twisted it all up. And, and I was, I was pretty confused for a little bit after that. Cause I went back to the midwife's apartment, um, after afterward, and I just prayed and prayed and had to work through a lot of things. But anyway, in this meeting, uh, my brother my brother said, if you don't agree with me 100% on this, and you're not going to support this, I don't want you around my kids. I don't want you to be a demonic influence in their lives. Uh, we can't have that in this house. We're not welcoming demons into this house. Um, so if you're not going to agree with me 100% on this decision to cut uh, the other sister off, um, you are going to find your stuff out on the lawn in a few days. Uh, and he, I think he said in three days. Um, so I said, well, I actually, I, I decided a few days ago, I'm going to move out. And um, I had already had my stuff at the midwife's house and in my car, my car was completely packed with stuff. And um, so I went around the room and I hugged everybody. I said, just know that this is not me who's cutting this relationship off. This is you who decided to um and cut the relationship off I still I still want to I still want to come over for dinners and do things and they said don't you declare things like that in this house woman you know you're not the one you're the one who's cutting us off because of your decisions and they got all fired up and um he said he the main my main brother who was doing this he said um if you If you want to come back for dinner or anything, um, you're going to have to have a long talk with me. So don't even think about coming over for dinner before you call me and we have a come to Jesus moment. Um, and my mom, the whole time in these two meetings that we had just, just sat there and almost said nothing. Um, she just, I, it was kind of a betrayal too, because, Mm. um, you know, this is her daughter. These are her daughters that are going to be cut off. And she's just sitting there like she doesn't care or this doesn't affect her or, um, and that's kind of been the attitude she's had over these last three years. I was, I was cut off. I walked out and, um, just cried buckets and (laughs) went back to the midwife's house and, um, she came out to the apartment and we just talked and, together we didn't I didn't know what I was going to do and uh, I ended up traveling around we went down to Colorado um, there was a connection with another student midwife and she invited me to come down to her community which was um it was a very welcoming uh Christian community where uh they a lot most of them had been missionaries to foreign countries and um I lived with a family that was that had nine kids and they were just so kind and they'd never met me before but they just welcomed me in and I got to see how how a dad takes care of his kids and has relationships with them and treats his wife and it just opened my eyes to how this is supposed to be (laughs) there was one moment where he somebody needed a fork or a spoon in in at the table and he jumped up and he had a one knee replacement that I think he had to do two times. Anyway, he was hobbling to the kitchen to get them a fork or spoon. And, um, I just was completely in awe. I just did not understand how a guy, a dad, a man would get up and do that because in our, in our household, it was girls would jump up and get something real quick. If any of the boys needed something and would say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't get that earlier or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, there was just some different moments where I was like, whoa, that's, that's servanthood. And that's what real manliness looks like. And um, so I was still struggling with uh, my chest pain. I didn't know if it was a lung problem or a heart problem. Um, But I, I traveled around and And it would come in bouts of like a couple months where I would be just completely weak and I couldn't, I couldn't hardly even stand up enough to do the dishes or sweep the floor or something, you know, I'd just be dizzy and it was awful. And I ended up going back to my sister's house because my two sisters had, um, that were that were cut off from the family. They were living in an apartment, um, and they invited me to come up with them. And there were some hopeless moments there because I was so sick and didn't know if this was something deadly or what was going on. And, and, uh, I remember one night my sister and I just, we just sat in the dark cause we, we didn't turn on the lights and, um, we just cried. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. what are we gonna do with our lives? Because they both were working so hard, and they weren't getting afraid to leave me alone. Because uh, there were times where I couldn't talk, um, and I would just cough and cough like crazy, and and they didn't. They needed help. Like they needed other people in their church or somebody to help with my care, um, because I often couldn't get up to like make myself breakfast. And so my sister started leaving um breakfast that I could just sit down and eat basically um and doing things like that I mean they were just wonderful for me and um so kind but our our family the rest of our family lived down the road and we we knew we couldn't ask reach out and ask them for help because they wouldn't and and during that time they never never asked how I was doing and I mean pre- from from that time on they've never reached out and asked how we were doing um so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because it's like, they say, we care about you so much. And this is the reason that we want you to be under our protection. And, but really that's not love when they really don't care about us. I could have been dying. I wasn't dying, but I could have been, I didn't know. And, um, they just really didn't care. and didn't reach out. And so, um, that's not real love. And, and I, Mm -hmm. I've met people in, in, um, in the area or that know my mom and know my family. And they're like, Oh, they really do care about you. And they'll just try to say nice things. And I'm like, no, they don't care about me. They, uh, somebody who you love, you wouldn't do that to." So, right. um, no, I don't, I don't believe that. And, um, that's not real love. That's kind of a twisted, twisted love. Um, and I'm they, so I, glad
1: you got to go see though. You got to go spend some time with some other people and get to see, yes. you know, what, what real love looked like yes. and the real sacrificial, you know, caring for each other, um, like we're supposed to love. And that's wonderful that, that you were given that gift.
0: Yes, for, for sure. Um, I got into a healthy church and, um, got to just, I just traveled around. I ended up going out to Spokane for clinicals. I worked out there for, at some different birth centers, uh, when I felt better and, um, got to meet more people and just, just really soaked in what, what real Christianity is. And at that point I decided not to wear the head covering and, uh, always wear long dresses. I went back to that scripture, first Corinthians 11, and I said, well, I don't think I can honestly say that I believe that I need to wear this. Um, and so I thought, well, it would be hi- hypocritical for me to do it if I don't believe in it. And, um, uh, so it was a big step for me to take that off because I was in a community where that was very, um, very expected of you, you know, and if you mm-hmm. had done it and now you take it off, well, now you're worldly and, <laughs> and you're really off nope. the defense of that one. But, um, I, I did it. And that was a a step of faith too. Of just like, Jesus, you need to take me wherever you want me. And so my sisters decided to stay in a Mennonite church and that's where they still are. And we still have a really good relationship. Um, so, and then we've, we've, I think we've done a pretty good job at like respecting each other and (laughs) realizing that maybe we'll believe a little bit different, but that's okay. We're still siblings and we need to love each other. Um, and, uh, So I met my husband and we actually met on online uh, Christian dating app. I was super busy with clinicals and school and everything, but I decided to um, try to meet people on that. And I met him. He was homeschooled and from a big family and we ended up having a pretty quick dating and engagement. Um, But yeah, his family just invited me into their family and treated me so kindly. And so I'm still watching people and still like, how does this work? You know, where you have healthy relationships, where you're not just Mm going to cut each other off when you're mad at each other, just for, just for like a, a a simple, I don't know, like a small, I don't want to say small, but like a, a, a religious thing that you differ on and you're gonna, you're gonna cut them out of your life. And, and I had helped with my brother's deliveries. I had caught two of his babies and and so I was close with them. It wasn't like we weren't close, you know, I was good friends with their wives. And, um, anyway, just to, just to have that relationship and then completely have it cut off. And there was a big thing with men and I still have, I still struggle with it to some degree. I made her one, I married a wonderful man, um, who, who wins my trust all the time, but, um, it's still something, you know, with that robbery, and then my dad just dying overnight, um, and then my brothers having a relationship and then having it completely cut off. and there's just there's been something with guys that i don't I don't um, trust them as much um, as I should or don't um, maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. i don't I don't know. Um, but I'm still working through a lot of that where all guys aren't the same and they're all they're not all going to try to take advantage of me or completely cut me out of their life you know and so it's it's been interesting to work through that
1: yeah I know how hard it can be like feeling secure in relationships that you're not going to mess up and then feel like oh no I'm gonna have to apologize or I'm I'm gonna get cut off or I'm gonna get Mm -hmm. you know punished or whatever I know from my growing up, and it sounds like you had some very similar things that, you know, there was always this fear in the back of my head that I was going to get I was going to do it wrong and then get punished um, for it. Um, mm-hmm. No matter like there was lots of different types of punishment or, or or what that might be. It might be like what you're talking about, like this, this big, huge um Talk that lasts, you know, a long time, and going into to the mm-hmm. evening. Or for us, it was a quote unquote scripture from the Lord or writing from the Lord that would be just berating us for you know different decisions or who knows what. <clears throat> my one of my sister in laws was uh, punished, and I still think about this because I was I was an adult. I was eighteen when this happened, and one of my older brothers, I. I well oh, my older brother I biological brother I loved him dearly and he was the one that I I even now I do have some relationship with him but mm-hmm. even him like he was the kindest sweetest person um he cut they put the church punished his wife the patriarch punished his wife because she did something he didn't like. And his wife didn't like. And so they cut her off from being able to have family meals with us. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you could probably understand what a big deal that was. And, and we all went along with it like she wasn't allowed to come up in in fellowship with us at all she wasn't allowed Mm -hmm. to come into our our main building for for meals together and stuff and I still think about that now because I was 18 then and I was like why didn't you stand up and say no this is ridiculous Mm -hmm. you know and and go take my food and go eat with her which is what I should have done (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm yeah. thankful for forgiveness, you know, but I still think about that. I was like, because we were all swayed with, you oh, know, yeah. like these, this patriarchal person was making the decisions for all of us. And we all had to abide by that. And and we all, and i was like, even this man who, my brother, who was so kind and generous to everybody and was like the sweetest person, he literally like cut his wife off from, from relationship with people for, it was like three months. Wow, it was a long time, and I was just like, "Why did we allow that?" That was that was wild. But there's something about that group thought, and I know they've done lots of studies on that. You know, like if the, it's something that's different, if it's a if it's a one-on-one you know decision versus a group um, decision, and how people will be swayed by the group's decision um, on things. And and I definitely mm-hmm. feel like growing up, where you were told to listen and obey, and And, you know, always default to a certain thing and walk on eggshells and have Mm -hmm. this fear in the back of your head all the time that you might do something wrong that you need to apologize for you will be punished for that, that that changes the decisions you make. And so I just want to applaud you for standing up and being like, no, I can see this is wrong and I need to I need to step away from it, even though you knew the consequences of those actions with your relationships.
0: Yeah, there, there was a time before that, that I knew that something was wrong about our situation. We weren't going to a normal church. We were just attending home church with my brother's father-in-law and his family, but my brother was really in charge of it and kind of running it, um, in a, in a way. And, and now he really has a big hold on it. From what I hear, um, it's just gotten worse and worse where he has his little cult going on and. Um, just very, wow, interesting things coming out of that. but I knew I knew there was something wrong, and we were really focusing on uh organic eating and against big pharma, and that's more of the stuff we were talking about together, while some of us were really hurting in that in that little congregation, and we needed to talk about real stuff, and we weren't. And so it felt it felt um very like, okay something has to happen where we need to get out. And that, and and when my sister decided that she was going to get out, I said, okay, well, this is the threshold where I can say I've come this far in good conscience, but I can't in good conscience cut my sister off <laughs> from mm. our family. And so this is where, this is the decision maker where I can't go along with this anymore.
1: Well, something else I wanted to point out, which I thought was pretty amazing. Um, you may not have, have listened. I don't know. Listeners, you might remember if you have listened to that on episode 15. Um, we talked with uh, Ashley King, who's a midwife, and her story is absolutely amazing. If you haven't listened to it, you should absolutely go back. Um, but there's some similarities here, uh, Christiana, between your story and hers. She um, she ended up moving in with the midwife she had been working with. Her she. We have been homeschooled and it had allowed her to to be working on a midwifery and she ended up leaving and ended up moving in. And that's like her second, it's her family now. Um, That's those, that midwife's children are her brothers and sisters now. And and she took <laughs> her in and, and she really helped take care of her and help, you know, her with such a trying time and, and standing on your own feet. And I think that's really neat Um, to see that that was something very similar for you that yeah. happened and, and to her. So I just applaud those women out there that are, you know, stepping in <laughs> and, and welcoming people into their home to just be like, Hey, you're in a situation. I'm going to do all that I can and really be that with woman, you know, really be that, like it that's in all instances in in every way that, you know, we are needed and we can be
0: there. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I needed for people to say, stay in my home. You need to heal. You don't need to work. Um, and that's what happened. My my preceptor, she said, just stay as long as you need. And she didn't really pry into what was happening, but I told her what I wanted to tell her. And we prayed a lot together, but at the same time, she wasn't trying to force me into anything. And, um, then when I traveled around Colorado, I lived in Wyoming for a little bit, those families too, were just like, come and heal. And, and that's, totally what I needed. I didn't need somebody to try to push anything on me because I would have just run. I would have ran away, yeah. you know, probably been homeless. Um, so I ended up finding out what was wrong. Um, last year I have a vocal cord dysfunction. I went to an allergist, um, sp- an allergy and asthma specialist, and he diagnosed me with, um, with what I actually have. Um, and that was a vocal cord dysfunction. So different things in the air, like in the springtime, it's worse, different things will aggravate it and they'll spasm on me where I can't get a good breath in. And so then that's where all the chest pain and the coughing comes in. Um, mm-hmm. so then he just gave me a couple, um, prescriptions to things that completely take care of it. And <laughs> it was a very simple fix after four years. Oh man, Yeah. So, so it's just, it's an answer to prayer, but also God just takes you through some hard things sometimes so that he can be there with you and just really refine you. And I don't know, there were a lot of days where I was, I was so sick and I could hardly get out of bed and just chest pain. I mean, chest pain that just takes over your body. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I would just watch the sun come up and then watch the sun go down. and, And there wasn't much I could do. And, uh, and God was just so close to me in that, in those times, you know, and I, I love the fact that I can get in my car and I can drive around and go to people's houses now. Um, but I also know that like, that was a special time too, of, of just sitting and being with God. Um, so yeah, there's different seasons in our, in our life.
1: Yeah. I love that. Then- he, he doesn't tell us that we won't ever go through hard things. In fact, he guarantees we will go through um, mm-hmm. lots of things in this, this world, but I think it's amazing that, that through those things that that's really where he shines and he really shows us, you know, like that's, that he's there. And like in those hard moments that he's got your back, like he's taking care of you and all of those like super hard times in my life, I know I can say for sure has brought me so much closer um, to him being sick myself and going through being, you know, um, shunned and, and just lots of, you know, all of those different types of of very traumatic, very life changing things that each time those things have just brought me closer and closer to him. But it was a also a decision. You could have stayed, you know, on those days where you were just watching the sun come up and the sun go down. Like you could have gotten to very depressive state. You could have decided to be completely woe is me. And I'm going to be ill forever. And, and 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 that would be a natural thing that would happen to people. And I don't know, maybe you did have some moments like that. Um, I remember I did when I was so sick. Mm-hmm. But then, but God, yeah. <laughs> he shows you like, hey, no, like this is not the purpose I have for you. There are so many things and wonderful, you know, things that I have ahead for you. And this is something to, you know grow you and to really relying on him more and trusting mm-hmm. him more and, and having that actual relationship and not just this on paper, I've been told forever this, this, or this, but knowing him yourself and what a tremendous difference that makes
0: in your life. Yes. And I was struggling with the whole thought of, well, if you have enough faith and And you'll be healed. And why aren't you being healed? And this must be anxiety. So you just need to remain calm and then the breathing problems will go away. Um, So then I just had to totally give it to God. And he really just said, rest, just rest and sit with me and be with me. And you don't have to fight for healing because that's when I would start to try to have faith for healing. It was like a fight and would almost make the problem worse. And it was just giving Mm -hmm. me anxiety about it and I just had to say okay God you know this is you and also to be thankful for where I was at in life um, but yeah it wasn't like healing just hit from that moment it was probably two years later that I finally got a diagnosis um, but yeah another kind of aspect to this is how marriage works because what I had grown up with is how is the whole idea that the man is very over the woman and and things. And I wouldn't call myself a modern day feminist at all because I don't believe in abortion. I think abortion is killing babies um, and some different things that the feminists stand for, I don't stand for. But at the same time, um, I think we need to, <laughs> we need to see that in our, in our Christian churches these days, we are often really putting down women um, and not in a biblical viewpoint. Um, so I don't know. I just, I'm learning and I'm still learning from my husband and how he treats me. And I, like when I'm not, I don't have dinner at 630 every day. It, it, like at first I almost was like, you're not mad at me that I don't have dinner at six <laughs> 30. And he's like, no, I'm mm-hmm. not mad at you. <laughs> you know, it's like, we are a team and we're working together and we're not, it's not this you know, king that comes home and I just need to be at his feet and serve him. Because he needs to serve me at times. We're a team. We're working together. And yes, he's a leader, but um he but also back
1: and forth. The taking care of each other back and forth is so, yeah. so important. And uh, that's that's so much of what a marriage is is both of you giving a hundred percent to the other person. We're you're it's mm-hmm. reciprocal. It's back and forth. And I think what I think the word that came out to my mind when you were talking about that was was value you are of Mm -hmm. no less value than he is we are both considered i mean really if you're if you're going to go through go to romans romans 8 is going to talk about how we men and women are heirs with christ we're both heirs we're both um you know um heirs to the kingdom so there is neither one is above the other that we are both valued and of great, great worth, um, yeah. and there's 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 different roles, but that has nothing to do with value.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and calling like we both have callings in our lives, and we don't have to have one stopping us from the other of the calling that Jesus calls us to, and we need to encourage each other in those. And so, um, yeah, just something I'm still, I'm still dealing with is like, well, how, how do you raise a family? And we don't have kids yet, but um, you know, how do you raise them where you encourage them in their callings and even the girls in their callings, but you don't, you don't put the boys down because you're trying to bring the girls up and you don't put the girls down because you're trying to bring the boys up. Yeah. Neither one. There's no, there's no, there's
1: differences just because of the uniqueness of people, but there's not, I I can tell you as a mama of six children, like there are so many different unique things in each of my children. And as they're growing, you know, my prayer often is like, you know, being able to visualize their, their great different callings on their life due to their specific personalities right like I can see different things in each of the children and mm-hmm. as a mom I would just say in in being encouraged in each of those things like encouraging each one of them um on those different things I have a son who he loves outdoors and he loves building and creating and doing things for people and I just keep encouraging him in that and like you're so great at that good job you know I really mm-hmm. see how you're doing that but I have another one who who's just great at building people's personalities up like Mm -hmm. she's great at she loves outdoors too but she is great at making people smile and finding special unique gifts for them and you know really just bringing little things for them and being such a giver to people and just daily saying things, you're like, wow, you are such a great giver. Like I see how compassionate you are. And I'm so looking forward to what calling the Lord has on your life with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: There's no yeah. difference between how I talk to my boys and how I talk to my girls and that they are yeah. all so valued.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wrote a book about my story and sometimes I'm like, you know, why did I even write that book? Because my family, you know, is probably going to hate me even more and they probably do um just that was horrible you know you're just dishonoring the family by telling telling all the things about our family but at the same time i get i get random messages sometimes from people that i don't know and um and they just tell me how they can relate to it and how it really encourage them and one girl yesterday at church uh, she came up to me and gave me a hug and she said your story was so inspiring she said it was a lot like her story growing up and um there were a lot of similarities and she said I prayed about it after I read your book I felt like I was supposed to be a midwife and I just prayed about it and I'm pretty sure that that is what I'm supposed to do <laughs> So I said, well, here's my number and let's talk I could totally that's you. great get through that's this sad. and um she's like I really feel like it's a calling and um so I don't know it's it's so sometimes I'm like I still ask myself why did I write a book That was just kind of I I had I had somebody close to me tell me that um it was just vomiting to the world you know <laughs> putting my story out to the whole world like a diary but it's real life and you have to talk about the real the real nitty gritty stuff, because that's what other people can relate with.
1: And I'm so glad you are, because that's something I have purposed to do for years. My husband and I talk about it, we'll joke, we're like, when I write that book, when I write that book, it'll be in that, you know, but I haven't ever actually done it. And I'm so glad you have. I think that there are a lot more people out there with similar stories to ours than we realize. Um, And I think just, just putting yourself out there and, you know, letting them hear like what you've been through and how you've, you know, you've been healing through all of that and, Mm -hmm. and what it looks like on the other side. I think that is something that people are longing for. And so I think that is such a great thing that you did and put out there. So give
0: us the name of your book. Yeah. Am I brave or am I stupid? And uh, it's a memoir um, by Christiana. And I did my pen name is Lee. So Christiana Lee. And where can they buy it at? Amazon. It comes in hardcover and then you can also get it on Kindle. Oh, awesome.
1: Great. I'll make sure and put a link in the show notes for our listeners if you want to go. And I would encourage you to do so. Go and get Christiana's book um, and read it. I'm going to make sure and put it on my next list um, to read. I, I always have a reading list that is continuing to go and I'll add things into my cart. So, okay. The next time I'm going to get a book, it's that one. Um, so I'll definitely, I'm going to go read it myself. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and sharing, you know, how you've been able to heal even through all those things. Do you feel like, and I feel like this way, like healing is there, there's not a, I've arrived, like there's a con- mm-hmm. continuum of what's going on and there's different things that will come out that I didn't even realize was still there um, and why it's coming up and then just dealing with it and healing through it when it comes up. And I figure yeah. you probably have some similar things.
0: Um, yeah, for sure. And it, it comes up in really ugly ways sometimes. Sometimes. It's very confusing why is this is happening to me. And so then I have to work through it. Yeah. And I would encourage you, um, to work
1: through one of the things and I encourage everybody to, to, to do is we get in, entrenched and really indoctrinated in so many things when we are young, um, and with our families, cause we're imprinted, you know, with, with that family and the things that they have said and done and they have the things they have said about us. And when it comes to value and we're talking about value here, um, if you've been devalued in some way, that sticks in your mind. And I just want to encourage everybody, like, stop. This is where I talk about taking our, our thoughts captive and really confessing what is the truth and, and then purposing to believe what the truth is about ourselves. Like, you were told that you did not have as much value as as a man or as a even a boy. Many mm-hmm. times I was told the same thing. And. That That is not true at all. So there are going to be many times where that thought may creep into your mind again. And you stop it and you say, nope, I am very precious jewel above rubies. I am I am just treasured by my father and by all these people around me that love me. And that is what I'm going to stand on. And I, that is a continuing thing. That's a renewing of your mind daily. Um, when you have those thoughts come in, because I know they're going to come in that our lies. stop and think where did that thought come from why
0: am i having that thought that's not the truth let's Mm -hmm. walk in the truth yes for sure wow this has been good and i know we've had similarities and that's why i reached out to you it's like this is happening to other people and we need to share stories so that it reaches people that it's happening to them and they don't have a voice and they don't know what's going on and what to choose um but We've walked through this and we're going to keep walking through it.
1: Absolutely. There is freedom and there is joy and healing on the other side. And um, anybody out there listening who needs more encouragement, um, reach out. I'll make sure and give a link that you can reach Christiana if she'd like on um, in social media and come check out her book. And as always, you are welcome to reach out to me anytime. I do personally answer my emails and um, Instagram messages or Facebook messages. You can find me at Healing Trauma Mamas on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. And um, please think consider joining our Facebook group. Um, we just encourage each other in there. Share a little little uh, mindful moments sometimes and, uh, just encourage each other in, in our healing process. And I always want to remind everybody to come join us on that group. Come, um, share in in your stories share in your healing and come for encouragement if you're in one of those times when you're really maybe down and really just feeling discouraged like this is like it's a good place to come and share with other women who have been through it and we can all help build each other up like we are supposed to um so with that i just want to say thank you all the listeners um for joining us once again christiana thank you so much for coming on the podcast Thank you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your creator, so be who he created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time. Shalom.